Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message in our current series called How to Pray. Let's take a listen. Prayer is not a laughing matter. Prayer is not a laughing matter. You see, we're gonna be looking this over the next several weeks and what we're gonna see is for many of us in this room, I would love to, I would be interested to see what our definition of prayer is because a lot of times we use prayer as the preparation for a battle or the preparation for something we're going into or for something that we're going through. But watching Jesus model prayer, what we realize is that it was not the preparation for a battle, but prayer was the battle. Prayer was the war. There's a quote that we say a lot of times around here and somehow I've adopted it, but I guess it's because I say it so much, but I wish I was this smart, but it's not my quote. Oswald Chambers is actually the one that quoted it, but we say it a lot of times around here that prayer is not the preparation for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so as we talk about prayer being the greater work, my heart for you, my heart for me, is that I want our church family to all get engaged and all be involved in the greater work. I want us all to be in this line of prayer because look, right now we're all learning for the most part, some of us, we're learning how to fight our flesh. We're in the middle of a fast. And it's so funny, every time I see people coming in and out of grocery stores and Sam's, they all look at me like they hate me. (laughs) I've got my rabbit food for this week. (laughs) Well, but what I think we're learning is that we can fight our flesh, that we can say no. But also prayer or fasting without prayer is like we said, it's simply a diet. And so what our heart's desire is for our body is not only do we wanna learn to fight our flesh, but we wanna learn how to line our heart up with the heart of God. And that only comes through prayer. You see, when we continue to die to our flesh, it's not necessarily we're just dying to our flesh, but we're surrendering to his authority. We're surrendering to whom he is. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna simply look at a segment of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about what we have adopted the name of the Lord's Prayer. So I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter six. And basically what he is going to summarize in the very beginning of what we're gonna look at today is you're gonna hear from Jesus essentially the how to praise and the how not to praise. And so what we're gonna, we're not gonna spend a whole lot of times on the how not to, and we're gonna spend most of the time on the how to pray. But I want you to read with me in verses five through eight, and I know we're not at the Lord's Prayer yet, but we're gonna read this to begin with. Verses five through eight, look what Jesus himself says. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. 
Or they may stand on the sideline at a Flyer Branch football game screaming at God so they may be seen by men. But anyway, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as, as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. What we notice just in those four verses is the fact that there's a lot of compare and contrast. There's a lot of compare and contrast going on. If you look at verses five and seven, essentially Jesus is telling us how not to pray. And then in verses six and eight, he's telling us how to pray. And so we're, like I said, we're not gonna focus a lot of time on the, the how not to, but we are gonna look at it just quickly. You notice he says, don't pray like the hypocrite or the Gentile. When you look at the word hypocrite, the word hypocrite is a theatrical term, meaning an actor or a stage player or a pretender. It's someone claiming to be something they're really not. And so then when we see them, what we know is that you notice they were standing on street corners as the hypocrites were. You see, they were standing on the street corners appearing to have a relationship with God, appearing to be talking to God. In reality, all they were doing was talking to men because they were wanting to impress men. They were wanting men to think they were super spiritual because of this advertised prayer life that they were exemplifying. But what's interesting is Jesus said, they'll get their reward. You know what their reward was? You know what they wanted? They wanted people to see them. So guess what? People saw them, people heard them. But guess who didn't hear him? Jesus. He didn't hear him. God the Father didn't hear him because he wasn't, they weren't speaking to him. They were speaking to everyone else. And so we see, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't be something you're not. But then we look and he goes on and he says, don't pray like the Gentiles did. You see what the Gentiles were guilty of is they would offer up these prayers to, to these foreign gods, these little G gods. And they would use a lot of repetition. They would use a lot of, of prayers that they would repeat, that they would memorize, that they would say the same thing over and over. But in reality, what they were trying to do is they were trying to persuade this, this dead God. They were trying to persuade him or it to do for them whatever it is that they wanted. And so they would use all these prayers of repetition. They even referred to it as they would use babbling and gibberish is what they would use in order to try to persuade. And so Jesus wants us to be very careful. Don't pray like the hypocrites where we're praying just so people can hear us, but also don't pray like the Gentiles. Don't say repetitive things over and over and over again, just out of habit. And so he says, don't pray like the, the hypocrites or the Gentiles. But then in verse six, he tells us how we should pray. Look at verse six. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says, go into your room, close the door and do it in secret. You see, the reason that this kind of hit home 
with the majority of the Jews that he was talking to because in every Jewish home, they had a place in their home that was dedicated for that. They had a place in their home that was set aside and they would call it their secret place of devotion. So this is the place that all of them were very, very familiar with. But you see, this is the very thing that Jesus exemplified all throughout his ministry was getting alone, going to some place where no one else was. And there's a reason for that. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But we read in in Luke chapter five, verse 16, it talks about Jesus slipping away to the wilderness. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, it talks about him. He went to the mountain. Luke chapter six, verse 12, it says again that he went on to the mountain. But you see, there's meaning behind why Jesus was going to all of these distant places to get alone with the Father, to get alone with his heavenly Father because once the chaos of life began, he knew that it was gonna be an impossibility to get by himself to have that conversation with God. And I know every one of us in this room can relate to that. You can all look at me and say, Brian, you have no idea what my life is like. You have no idea what my home is like. There is not a secret place in my home There's not a quiet place in my home. But you see, this is the very struggle that that Jesus himself experienced. Everybody wanted some of his attention. Everybody wanted some of his time. And I know that we can come up with every excuse under the sun. But you see, this is the only time in many cases that we don't like to talk about this word discipline in church. You see, Jesus was disciplined. He knew that he had to get away. He knew that he had to go to the wilderness. He knew that he had to go to the mountain because if he didn't, then he would not get the time otherwise. Now listen, moms and dads, this is not your time tomorrow morning when you get up to go to the mountain or go to the wilderness. Don't get all super spiritual and when your wife gets up says, where were you at? Oh, that pastor last night told me to go up to the mountains. So I just haven't taken my fishing rod and all that other stuff. (laughs) It's not the time to do that. What we're talking about is figuratively speaking is you setting aside a time and a place to carry on a conversation with your heavenly father. And you see, Jesus was disciplined because we saw that he did it in Mark chapter one, verse 35. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it. It said, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went away to a secluded place and he was praying there. See, Jesus knew that once the chaos began, that there wasn't gonna be a moment of silence, if you would. But Jesus was disciplined enough that he said, you know what, I'm gonna have to set my alarm a little earlier I'm gonna have to set aside a time and a place in my home, in my life to carry on a conversation with my heavenly father. Now back to that word disciplined. You see what we've gotta stop doing as believers, what we've gotta stop doing as a follower of Jesus Christ, is we've gotta stop making excuses and we've gotta stop saying my lifestyle just doesn't allow a quiet time. 
My lifestyle is just too chaotic. I can't get alone with the Lord. I don't have time. There's not a quiet place in my house. I can't do this. What we need to get to is we need to admit and honestly repent before the God and say, God, you know what? It's not that I don't have the time, but God, I don't desire it. I don't desire it enough. And so first thing we've got to do is stop making excuses. And the second thing we have to do is we have to ask God, God birthed this desire in me because how that desire is birthed when you spend time with him. When you spend time with him. You know, it's interesting that discipline it almost seems offensive when you use it in the church. Because yes, there is a discipline to getting into the word of God. There is a discipline to your prayer time. There is a discipline to your worship time. But I know we all wanna hang our hat on the grace and the mercy. And while all those things are amazing, the more we know about the grace, the more we know about the mercy, the more we're surrendered to spend time with the very one that extends it. Amen. But you know, we don't ever have a hard time talking about discipline when it comes to your job. You gotta be at work on time. You leave on time. When it comes to discipline, it's very simple for us to talk about discipline when we wanna get good at something. When we wanna perfect a skill or a craft that we know that we love, that we, we think we have potential to be good at, we're disciplined to work at those things. Some of you are very disciplined when it comes to diet. Notice I said some, because not all are. Some are disciplined when it comes to going to the gym and working out but don't dare talk about discipline when it comes to walk with my savior. Church, it's time that we acknowledge that in order for us to grow as followers of Jesus Christ, in order for us to grow as his children, we are going to have to be disciplined. We're gonna have to spend time with him in his word and in prayer. But are we disciplined enough to set aside the time? Are we disciplined enough to set aside the place? You know, I know that many of you have probably seen the movie going back several years ago, the movie War Room. And it's where a woman would just go in and pour her heart out to God. And just watching that movie, I, was, I realized that I didn't have that place. And so I know y'all hear me say it all the time, but. I have found that place and that place is under my desk. And they'll laugh, I don't care. But the reason that I go under my desk is literally I crawl up under my desk because number one, nobody can see me. Nobody bothers me there. <laughs> but number two, is I'm I'd be a fool to believe that I don't get distracted. But I know that when I'm on my face before an almighty God, 
that it puts my heart, it puts me physically in a posture of prayer and of humility saying, God, I don't know how to even make this thing work without you. So God, I'm coming to you for direction today. God, I want my heart to align with yours today because God, I don't know the answer. And God, that's the reason I'm on my face is because I'm surrendering to my way may not be the right way. But the reason I have to do that is because, look, I live in chaos at the Hall House. If you haven't been there, you're all invited and bring the popcorn because it is absolute chaos. But I know that I have to be disciplined enough. But guess what? There's days that I fail at that discipline. There's days that I forget about that discipline. And those days are a lot tougher, just to be honest. But you know, we as human beings in our American culture, in all of our chaos, in all of the distractions that we face, It creates desires in us. And once we find desires, once we find things that we love, have you realized that once we find something we love, we make it happen? If we find something we love, we make it happen. If we wanna buy something, we work harder, we put up more money, we actually fast from buying other things so that we can buy what we want. But you see, the the problem is when it all gets stripped away, the thing we don't desire enough is to crawl up in the presence of a heavenly father. But in order to do that, We've got to exercise discipline. You see, the disciples, they desired this. The disciples, you understand that like they traveled with Jesus. They watched Jesus at the point that we're looking at of over two years of watching him do ministry. They watched him heal people. They watched him preach. They watched him teach. They watched him love people. But what's very interesting in Luke chapter 11, one of the disciples comes to Jesus and he doesn't say, Jesus, teach me how to heal. Jesus, teach me how to teach. Jesus, teach me how to love people. No, he said, Jesus, teach me how to pray. You understand the reason that he wants Jesus to teach him how to pray is because they knew that prayer was Jesus' life source. They knew that prayer is what prepared Jesus to do the work that he did. And so they wanted to be empowered the same way that Jesus was. So prayer was his life source. The disciples wanted it to be their life source. So how do we as the New Testament disciples think we can do life without adapting to this life source? How do we think we can do it on our own? How do we think we can overcome temptation? How do we think we can follow God's will? How do we think we can surrender all areas of our life if we're not spending time with the one who's going to speak it? Amen. 
So we've got to realize that spending time with our Heavenly Father is the life source. It's our life source. And so if we, if we can settle in our heart that it is our life source, if we can set the time aside, if we can make it a priority, if we can have that desire birth within us, then Jesus goes on to tell us how to pray. He goes on to tell us how to pray. Now I want you to look at verses, verse six. I'm sorry, chapter six, verse nine. And now look, we're gonna break this up. We're gonna read it kind of differently because you're gonna think we're gonna read through the whole thing because this is how creatures of habit we are. It's almost like you can't say the Lord's Prayer without finishing the whole thing. Well, we're gonna do that today because we're, we're stopping at hallowed be your name. We're not getting any further than that today. But if you notice, he says, pray then in this way. I want you to stop right there. Pray then in this way. Now look, when we mention the Lord's Prayer, when we mention what we have adopted this name as the Lord's Prayer, when we talk about it, there is some, I, will, I won't say conflict, but there's some difference of opinions as to what Jesus is actually teaching in this. Because some people hang their hat in the camp of, you know, we're supposed to recite this word for word but then you have the others that hang their hat in the other camp that says, oh, well, no, this is just an outline. This is just to sort of teach us how to pray. This is a, a summary. This is to give us direction. So here's what I want you to hear. I'm not in a position today where I'm gonna try to sell you on either one. Because what I have learned and what I have found through prayer is that our prayer life, listen to this, has very little to do with the words that come out of our mouth. Our prayer life is a condition of our heart. Are we coming to an almighty God with a humbled heart? Are we coming to him with a surrendered heart? Because if we're coming in that posture, God doesn't care if we recite a prayer as long as we're praying with our heart. Or God doesn't care if we're using this as an outline and we're kind of building our own narrative around it. And all of a sudden he hears us praying. You see, it doesn't matter the words. It's all about the condition and the posture of our heart. And so if you wanna recite the Lord's Prayer, do it with all your heart. If you wanna use this prayer as an outline and a guide to prayer, do it with all your heart. Here's what I know about a loving father that I know, he hears it when our heart's in the right place. He hears it when your heart is in the right place. I've used this example before, but I remember when my oldest son Brock was sick and he was laying in the floor beside our bed and basically had no ability to move his legs. He had 103, 104 fever. And as a dad, I wanted to fix it. But I remember that night as I walked by his bed and I, I felt led by the Holy Spirit to pray over my son. And so, man, I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna go pray over my son and God's gonna just, just give me these words of prayer. But I remember as I laid on top of my son, the only words that could come out of my mouth were Jesus. And so I was trying to pray, but all I could do with tears rolling down my face was saying, Jesus. Jesus, but you know how I know without a shadow of doubt that he heard my heart? 
because a peace and a comfort came over me that I can't explain. I didn't ask God for peace. I didn't ask God for comfort, but he knew my heart before I had already asked him. So he granted me what I wanted when all I could say was Jesus. And so it had no, nothing to do with the words that I was speaking, but it had everything to do with the posture of my heart. So when he's telling us here, pray this way, this way means with a humbled heart. And look, if you don't know the words to say, guess what? Just say, I don't know the words to say. It's that simple. God, I know I need to pray, but God, I don't know how to. God, I know I need to be asking for strength, but God, I don't know how to. Guess what? You've already said it best when you've said nothing at all. Another plug for a country song. I got to stop that. <laughs> yep. Golly. But let's keep going. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. You know, he uses the phrase there, the two words, our Father. Maybe you want to say my Father. But it starts out by acknowledging a relationship. It starts out acknowledging whom he is speaking to. And when we read verses six and eight, we noticed three different times the word father was used in that as well. So Jesus is wanting us to understand that when we, become, when we come to the presence of God, he wants us to call him father. Now look, I would be a fool to believe that there's no one in this room that doesn't have a jaded view of a father. Some of you in this room, may, you may have a very hard heart when it comes to this word father. And so for you to speak the word father, that may seem like an impossibility to you. You know, maybe your father, maybe he walked out. Maybe your father has physically abused you. Maybe he sexually abused you. Maybe he's emotionally abused you. And so for you to say the word father, it hurts. Or you know, I, no, there's probably someone in the room right now that doesn't even know who your father is. And so to say my father, to say our father, that is a very tough task. But that is the very reason it is very important that Jesus identifies where the father is located. Our father who is in heaven. You see, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse nine, we read there by the prophet Isaiah that the heavens are higher than the earth. And so when we are crying out to our heavenly father, when we are crying out to our father in heaven, what Jesus is wanting us to understand is the father that you are speaking to is much higher than this sin sick world that has corrupted your father. The heavenly father that you're speaking to is much higher than the father of this world that is crippled to you as a father. The heavenly father that you're speaking to 
is much higher than the sin-sick world that has crippled me as a father. And so when we're speaking to our heavenly father, we must identify where he is located. He is located above this sin-sick world. The father that walked out on you is not the same father who said he would never leave you nor forsake you. The father that has said that he can't forgive you is the very father who is standing there with his arms waiting to forgive you. The same father who wants to remind you of all of your failures is, the same, is not the same father who wants to wipe away all of your failures. And so what we have to understand is our father in heaven is not in comparison to the earthly father. Because of this sin sick world, we're all crippled by sin. We have all fallen short of God's glory. And so when we speak to our father who is in heaven, also be reminded that before you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we were all orphans. We were all fatherless. But this loving father loved you enough that he gave his only son to die for you so that you could be adopted into the family, so that you could have the ability to call God Almighty Father. But have you trusted in that work that God did for you? Have you trusted in the sacrifice that was made? Because we were all fatherless. But God in his love, God in his mercy, God in his grace, he wanted to provide a way for you to be adopted into that family. And that was through the giving of his son, Jesus. And Jesus even said it, that he would not leave us as orphans. That he would not leave us as orphans. And so when we realize that we can speak to the heavenly father personally, when we can have that personal relationship with that father, it humbles our hearts. It begins to put us in a place of humility because we realize how unworthy we are. And if we're not there just by saying, Father, that is why he goes on to say what he says next. Hallowed be your name. See, hallowed be your name means that your name is set apart. Your name doesn't compare to my earthly father. There is no other name in comparison to your name. And so as we cry out, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. What would it look like if we were to take that opportunity and we were to start crying out, what that name is, what that name has been. 
Because if you've been saved by the grace of God, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would be saying our Father who is in heaven, your name is my salvation. Your name is my life source. Your name is my refuge. Your name is my strength. Your name is my comfort. Your name is my everything. Your name is my redeemer. Your name is my healer. Your name is my restorer. But if we start our prayer out and we start saying the things of who God is to us, I want you to understand we're not saying those things to remind God of who he is, but we're saying these things to remind God of who, or we're reminding ourselves of who we are. And so when we start speaking those things, our Father who is in heaven, God, you're my salvation. God, you saved me when no one else could. God, you're my redeemer. God, you're my deliverer. God, I tried to stop. But God, I couldn't do it. But God, you gave me the strength to do it. God, you're my provider. God, you're my courage. God, you're the restorer of my marriage. God, you're the salvation of my children. And you see what prayer does is when we begin to acknowledge God for who he is, we lift him up, we exalt him. And with him being exalted, we have no other choice but to sink lower in reverence to who God is. And so the thing that we notice about this Lord's prayer is it begins with a humbled heart and it begins with praise. But what's interesting is guess where the Lord's prayer ends? It also ends with praise. So everything begins and ends with who God is. But you see, as we prepare our hearts for prayer, when we call him Father, when we remind ourselves of who he is, what it does is it prepares us to look at the rest of this prayer. Because the rest of this prayer, it's not easy. The rest of this prayer is a prayer of surrender. The rest of this prayer is saying, I don't trust myself, so God, I'm trusting your way. And so I know for a lot of us this morning, this may seem like a very elementary truth. And so what I wanna challenge you with as we leave today, I wanna challenge you with two things. 
Number one, be disciplined. Set aside time. Find your wilderness. Find your mountain. And if you have to, get up early. See, y'all don't even like that. I never get an amen on that one. See, I'm an early person. I, 4.45 in the morning, I love it. It's quiet. My wife doesn't even know 4.45 exists, except in the afternoon. But I'd encourage you tomorrow morning, now look, this doesn't have to be a 45-minute thing added to your schedule. I challenge you tomorrow morning, start with five minutes. Start with five minutes, but here's your next challenge. Set aside time. And I want you to attempt to pray without asking God for anything. I want you to attempt to pray without asking God for a thing. And I'll be real, it's tough because we're creatures of habit. It's hard to pray without saying, God, keep my family safe today. But you see what you're gonna find is that tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow at lunch, when you find that refuge, when you find that quiet place and you call out Father in heaven, I want you to spend the next few minutes just reminding yourself of who he is. And what I would almost venture to guarantee, but I can't do that, so I'm not going to. But the more you remind yourself of who you're talking to, you're gonna be reminded of all the things in life that God has done for you. Number one is thank him for your salvation. How can we begin a day without thanking Jesus Christ for our salvation? And then as you begin calling out those names, the Holy Spirit's gonna remind you and the Holy Spirit is gonna show you all of those journeys along your life where God met you right where you're at. And so what this is gonna begin to do is when you say our Father who is in heaven and you begin to call out all the things that God has spoken to you, all the things that God has shown you in your life, you're gonna be reminded of how much he loves you. You're gonna be reminded of his grace. You're gonna be reminded of his mercy. And you're gonna wake up tomorrow morning and say, I gotta get back in the presence of that. Because you wanna be around the one who loves you. But when we understand his love for us, we reciprocate it with the love for him. And so this morning, I would have to ask the question. Number one, can you call him father? Can you call him father? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. 
If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.